Well, good morning. This is different, huh? They told me it would be okay if I just sing the message today. Is that okay? <laughs> For those of you who don't know me, my name is Ryan Rumbly, and uh, it's just a great honor and privilege to be on the pastoral staff here at Crossview. Um, I just want to take this opportunity as well to say thank you to the Crossview community for the way that you have welcomed my family and I these past, whatever it is now, eight months or so. Uh, it's been a joy to be here, and we love you, uh, and we love calling Wisconsin Rapids home, uh, especially this time of year. Uh, it's beautiful now. <laughs> so we, we moved in in November. Uh, <laughs> so. Um, so generally, I might be more comfortable behind a guitar and leading in worship, but it is a real honor to be able to bring God's word to our hearts today. Would you pray with me as we get started? Father, thank you for loving us today. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. Thank you for the joy that you intend for your people. Father, would you bring your word to life in us today that we might be filled with a joy focused on Jesus? And it's in his name we pray, amen. Well, have you ever lost something that was rather important? Um, something that provided for you in a way that maybe nothing else quite could? It wasn't that long ago, back in, I think it was February, that we lost power for 30 hours at our house. Anybody have that same experience this winter? Yeah. So we lost power. We didn't know how long it would last. We thought, surely they'll get this fixed pretty soon. I know those guys were out there in the freezing, working hard to get our power back on. But my wife had the flu. Our kids had just gotten over the flu. The temperature was going down in the house. The power company said, it should be about 6 p.m., and at about 7 p.m., I'm on the phone with them going, what do you think? And they said, we have no idea when it will be back on. <laughs> so we packed up and we went to a hotel and let the kids shower, since we had well water at home and it wasn't working. Let the kids shower. Uh, we enjoyed a nice breakfast the next morning that we would not have been able to prepare at home. And later that morning, the next day, we got a text from our neighbor that the power was back on. And so everything was going to be uh, just fine. Pretty soon it was all back to normal. Well, our joy in Christ powers our lives in a unique way. It enables us to get through the winter storms of life and to see clearly in the darkness of our trials. And we need to hold on to our joy in Jesus. Have you lost it? Has your joy diminished in some way, perhaps as the waves of life have washed over your soul? Have you felt like you're stuck, uh, sweating, running on the treadmill of life, looking for some peace and rest and missing your joy? Well, my heart is that we would be able to reconnect with a basic joy in Jesus today. Just see what God has, what God's word has for us in that regard Perhaps you've never had that joy in Jesus. And it would be my prayer, my heart, that you would find it today. That steadfast assurance that he's there for us, that as we build our lives on the foundation of Jesus, we don't just make it through the tough spots, but we're able to thrive, stand firm, 
feel real hope, and yes, even smile, though life can be hard and death could even be around the corner. We're secure in Jesus. So today, uh, we're going to continue our series called Joy in All Things. We're in the book of Philippians. Uh, We'll be here for a few more weeks, and we'll be in chapter 3 today. So if you would turn there, we'll look at verses 1 through 11, and we're on page 1041 in the Worship Center Bibles. As you turn there, there's a question that I have for us today. It's in your bulletin as well. I'm hoping that God's Word will help bring some answers to this for us today. What reasons do we have for experiencing joy in Jesus? What reasons do we have? So be warned, our passage today is a little bit PG-13. It'll be an exciting day in God's Word. It contains some of Paul's strongest language and most vivid imagery. He's passionate about his cautions to his friends in Philippi and about his recounting of his own inner reaction to discovering this thing called grace. So Paul sits imprisoned, writing this letter. He's writing to his precious fellow believers in the city of Philippi. They're a part of the first church that Paul founded in Europe on his second missionary journey, and they have financially supported him. They even sent this guy with a tough-to-pronounce name, Epaphroditus, to minister to Paul while he's in chains. So these folks are important to Paul. And there's an inspiring love that's flowing from Paul to these friends in Philippi, these brothers and sisters of his. Though he writes under difficult circumstances, we've seen him in this book express joy that he experiences in praying for them, the joy that he desires to feel from seeing them live in humble unity. In writing this passage we'll look at today, He's watching over them, guarding them against false doctrine and using his own story to inspire their own deep-rooted joy in Jesus. You may remember on Father's Day, Pastor Chris uh, threw out a dad joke, and I want to take that challenge and try and one-up him today, if that's okay. So, okay, dad joke for you. You ready? What's the difference between Jesus and pizza? Jesus can't be topped, right? Yeah, yeah, challenge is on. (laughs) Uh, That brings us to the first of our five elements of a Christian's joy in Jesus that we'll look at today, and it's this. It's a joy in who Jesus is. He's everything to us. Without Jesus, we should just go home. These songs are meaningless. Anything I could say today would be meaningless. Jesus is everything. He's everything. The Son of God, our Creator, our Savior, our King. As we learned in Philippians 2 last week, He humbled Himself and took on flesh. The Creator coming down as the created. And He would serve us in the most profound way in shedding His blood on the cross as a payment for our sins. But death had no hold on the Son of God. Amen? No hold. His resurrection from the dead is our hope of life beyond the grave. And his exaltation rightly stirs up our hearts. He is the one before whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so Paul tells his audience of believers, these Christians in Philippi, 
brothers, sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And this word rejoice has been used five times already in the book, but this is the first time that it's followed by in the Lord. So rejoicing in this life isn't limited to rejoicing in God, but it finds its most precious, deepest, and most meaningful use when aimed at God, glorifying and praising our Savior. At VBS this week, the theme had a lot to do with God's goodness. Can you imagine if God wasn't good? If he wasn't loving, merciful, forgiving, we rejoice because God is all of these things. And we have seen these things most clearly demonstrated to us in Jesus. He embodies the love, the mercy, the forgiveness of God for us. So Paul says rejoice. Let's talk a little bit about this rejoicing. I love being a worship leader here. And a lot of our time spent together singing the praises of God has a lot to do with having hearts that are filled with this rejoicing over Jesus. I love being a worship leader because I love Jesus. And I get to express with my songs, with my heart, and and lead others to do the same, that he's worthy of our praises. Every note, every beat, every shout from this stage is meant for the praise of our great God, for the lifting high of the name of Jesus, to point our hearts to him with words of truth made beautiful by music. I love it. And I love sharing moments of excitement with you over our great king. When we clap during a song or when we clap in response to a song, it's not about anybody on this stage. We all know that, right? It's about Jesus. It's all for his glory. So my heart for our church in corporate worship would be to see a growing, always, worship culture here where we would find an inner humility before him and a growth in expressions of enthusiasm for him because he's worthy of it. Steve Lawson, who we've been quoting from this book through this series, Philippians for You, says it this way, Rejoicing in the Lord honors him. Jesus is worthy of the excitement of our soul. He's most glorified when we are most excited and enthusiastic about him. So before we even get to the tougher issues that Paul has to address to his friends, he says rejoice in the Lord as the people of God. Rejoice in the Lord. In the latter part of verse 1, We read, to write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Verse 2, watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. Here's where things get a little PG-13, okay? In this passage, there are some who are stealing the joy of the believers in this group that Paul's writing to. You're familiar with these guys. If you've been tracking with us in sermons here the last few months, these guys called the Judaizers. Uh, We talked a lot about them in our study of Galatians. And they were teaching believers to add Jewish law and custom to their faith, especially the sign of circumcision, right? After all, this was a sign that was given as a part of the Abrahamic covenant by God himself. God intended circumcision as an outward sign for his people, a sign of being set apart from the world and to God. 
but a sign that still had to be realized in the heart of each person by faith. But these guys, these Judaizers, they're missing the heart of the gospel that only Jesus saves by grace through faith. That nothing people do or don't do within the construct of the Jewish religion matters for them to be saved. They're missing that the law found its great fulfillment in Jesus. This is serious. Paul is rightly upset over the perversion of the gospel here. He sees evil in it. And so he likens these guys to dogs. Well, maybe not doggy day spa dogs like these. I think he had a different dog in mind. (laughs) Uh, He had in mind filthy, wild, disgusting, trash-eating, scavenger dogs. Creatures that were considered unclean by the Jews. Uh, The Jews loved to call the Gentiles dogs, seeing them as a people who were unclean. Uh, Lawson again says it this way, these guys are corruptors of truth who feed on the trash of false doctrine. They spread the deadly disease of doctrinal error. Paul says they mutilate the flesh. It's a weird statement, right? We don't want to dive too deep here, but Paul uses a really graphic play on words to make his point about the bad message that these guys have. Um, The word for circumcision means to cut around. It's one word, peritome. But Paul uses a different word here, katatome, which implies to cut to pieces or to cut up, or as the CSB translates it here, mutilate. And so instead of teaching the sign given by God meant to spur on the hearts of his people, Paul basically says these false teachers are spreading a message that is essentially like advocating needless, torturous violence against a very sensitive area of the body. So enough of that. What should we take away from this? If one's heart is not changed, then the sign of circumcision is worthless. It's painful savagery because we know that no outward sign can take the place of a genuinely changed heart. There is no confidence in the flesh, in self-effort. Jesus alone is our confidence, and we must place our faith in him. Paul puts it like this in verse 3 of our text. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. So what is God after here? Well, he's after our hearts, our faith. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, reads this way, The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants, and you will love him with all your heart and all your soul so that you will live. So Paul judges the teaching of the Judaizers, challenging them rightly that circumcision is really a heart matter, not an outward religious matter. And the word of God is clear on this. Through the prophet Jeremiah, God says to his people, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts. And in Romans 2.29, circumcision is of the heart, by the Spirit, not the letter. That person's praise is not from people, but from God. So, heart check. Are you clinging to anything other than Jesus? 
anything that's being done in your own effort, we must ask ourselves, do our hearts belong to Jesus or to other things around him? Are we trusting in a baptism and time spent reading the Bible, being a good person in our own eyes? Are you clinging to anything other than Jesus? This brings us to the second element of our joy in Jesus for today. It's a joy in what Jesus has done. Paul writes, we are the circumcision, those who boast in Christ Jesus. And we know from passages like this one, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, for you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift, not from works, so that no one can boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. It's his work. Jesus died for our sins. He is the perfect substitutionary sacrifice for us. He's done this. As we read in Romans 5.8, God proves his own love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Praise God that we don't have to die for our sins. He's done it for us. 1 Peter 3.18 as well. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. As we sang today in our song, the second song we sang, he became sin who knew no sin, that we might become his righteousness. He humbled himself, carried the cross, love so amazing, rescue for sinners, ransom from heaven, Jesus, Messiah, Lord of all. Christian, you were dead, but now you live because of Jesus and what he has done for you. Nothing that you have done. And so we're called to rejoice. Rejoice in what Jesus has done. What provision we know in Jesus. Well, the third element of our joy in Jesus today is it's a joy in what I don't have to do. So what is it that you and I don't have to do that should bring us joy? Paul says there at the end of verse 3, don't put confidence in the flesh. Aren't you glad that we don't have to put confidence in what we do and run that treadmill? We don't have to work to earn God's favor. Our effort can't save us. Have you ever thought, I don't feel good enough for God? Or... I just lack enough good behavior. Don't buy the lie. Friends, don't buy the lie. You don't have to pay for your sins with your work in the flesh, and you can't. So relax into Jesus that he has finished the work. Do not put confidence in the flesh. Verse 4, Paul says, Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. He's got quite a resume here. And I'm a bit of an Indiana Jones, so I dug up, actually, a copy of Paul's resume. Isn't that cool? 
uh, not really fictional, but uh, helpful to see some of the things that, that Paul was thinking. And, and in a good sense, he thought he was doing what was right for the cause of God. But his objective was to be the most dedicated to God's word and keeping the law, to zealously uphold, teach, and defend Judaism, to be found acceptable because of all of this. He's got some stuff there about his education on his resume, Greek culture, Jewish traditions, learning the Hebrew language. He even had this amazing teacher, Gamaliel, who was an expert in the interpretation and application of Jewish law. And then all those experiences that we just read about in those few verses. I want to focus in on a couple of those things, but just note that the status of his heart was such that if you wanted to contact him in response to this resume, you could reach him at paul at blameless.com or 555-THE-BEST. Right? A little misfounded <laughs> there. Let's talk about Paul the Pharisee. These guys, the Pharisees, were intensely committed to the Old Testament scriptures Uh, Lawson, in that same little book, puts it this way. These guys were scripture-believing, scripture-reading, scripture-studying, scripture-teaching, scripture-preaching people, fiercely devoted to studying the Word of God. Moreover, they sought to keep it with all their might. The term Pharisee actually comes from a Hebrew word that means separated. And these guys were separating themselves from the pack in lots of ways. They were legalists, known for their piety, in obeying the law and the oral traditions. You'll remember Jesus clashed with these guys, right? Remember, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of the bones of the dead and every kind of impurity. In the same way, on the outside, you seem righteous to people, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Matthew 23, 37. We'll see in a few minutes, Paul recognizes that Jesus was right about him. All of this effort, all of this work, all of this confidence in the flesh, it was useless to save him. Though he might have seemed righteous externally with that resume, he was not able to perfectly keep the law, and he was going to be found with, with sin the law ultimately revealed to him that he needed a savior. He needed Jesus. So Paul was a Pharisee, devoted, but to all that effort, really. Regarding the righteousness that's in the law, he says of himself there, he was blameless. Not that he was without sin, but that he made as good of an attempt as any man could make at a righteousness under the law. If you'd been a Jew of that time, You would have gone out to hear him speak. You would have thought, this is good stuff. I'm going to get the DVD. I'm going to buy the Paul t-shirt. This guy's good. He's good. But Paul knows very well, as we'll see, that the righteousness according to the law that he thought was something is no righteousness at all. But Paul says, hey, look, you want to compare? My car is faster than your car. My house is bigger than your house, and my mom can beat up your dad. Nobody's got anything on me if we're talking about confidence in the flesh. I know I'm making light of things a little bit with Paul, 
but he genuinely sought to honor God and to do what he thought was right at the time. Um, He fought for what he thought was the cause of God, but then he was confronted by Jesus. Right down on his butt, (laughs) you know. His thinking, his heart were radically altered by Jesus. He was never the same. You can read about it in Acts chapter 9. I encourage you to do so. Verses 7 through 9 kind of tell the story. Take a look with me. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. A reference to judgment day. Being found in Christ at that time. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. So Paul says, when I look at that old resume now, all I see is worthless garbage. Crumple that thing up. Throw it away. It's waste. It's dung. Paul uses a very strong word here to describe just how repulsive all his efforts were when compared to Jesus and his finished work on the cross. His work was only worthy of being thrown out along with everything else he may have done because of the value of Christ and knowing him and his work. Every person has a bill that's coming due before God. And we'll, we'll open that envelope up and we'll look at that bill and we'll see that it requires perfection of us and no sin in us. And we realize that nothing we have ever done counts toward paying that bill. Paul thought all of his work was in the bank, and it was easily going to cover his bill when it came due with God, especially compared to everybody else. But he came to realize, as we all must realize, that his work was nothing next to Jesus' work. It was a waste, dung, a waste of his time and energy. Paul discovered grace, that Jesus offered the free gift of his righteousness to cover the bill that Paul owed because of sin. So Paul knew it was time to fix his resume, and there's a lot less on this one because it's all about Jesus. He says, all I can really say is I'm a guilty sinner. I didn't do anything to deserve salvation. Jesus paid for my sin at the cross with his blood. I simply have faith in Jesus and trust in his righteousness. And now if you want to get a hold of him, it's paul at allaboutjesus.com. And it's 555 by faith. By faith. So, heart check. What is on your spiritual resume? Is it stuff about your life, things you've done? Or is it Jesus? Where are you placing your trust? But it isn't only about paying the bill that's due to God. There's also this life for us to live. 
a joy-filled relationship that we get to have with Jesus. With this knowledge that Paul is totally dependent on Jesus for salvation, it's upon the foundation of Jesus that he seeks to build his entire life, right, in relationship with Jesus, which brings us to our fourth element of our joy in Jesus, a joy in personal relationship with him. Paul says, verse 10, my goal is to know him, to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Heart check again. Is your goal to know him? How are you working on that goal? We all have to work on this personal relationship with Jesus, don't we? As Paul was zealous before, he is eager now for more out of this relationship with Jesus. He wants to know Jesus. Praise God that we can know our Savior and that he wants to know us. Isn't that amazing? Jesus wants time with you each day. He wants to be your priority relationship in this life. He wants to make you more like him. And oh, how we need to be made more like Jesus in this sanctification that Chris talked about last week. Check out the lyrics of this Phil Wickham song. Uh, my daughter shared this song with me this week, and it was washing over my heart as I was preparing to bring this word. The song is called Tethered. And the words say, I don't want to lose the wonder of being in your presence, of knowing such a friendship to be with you, my God. Everything I am, I throw into your hands. And I just want my life to ever be entwined with you tethered to your heart. I just want my soul to ever stand in awe of you, tethered to your heart. What more could I desire? What greater thing to treasure? I'm convinced there's nothing better than living in your love, caught up in the wonder of being in your presence, of knowing such a friendship to be with you, my God. And I was enjoying moments of worshiping in my heart with that song this week. Um, remind me, somebody, to put that on Facebook this week for all of you. Are these the sentiments of your heart as you live in relationship with Jesus? What steps would help you to connect more deeply in relationship with, with him? Maybe a, a life group this fall? Maybe just getting together with some other believers and working on this relationship with Jesus. Take inventory today. Where is my relationship with Jesus at? What do you need? Consider connecting with a leader here at the church. Consider connecting with a mature Christian friend and figuring out, ask the questions, what's it going to take to go deeper in relationship with Jesus, you won't ever regret spending more of your life getting to know more of Jesus. But Paul is also very aware that there's a cost in this relationship 
with Jesus, a cost to following Jesus. We, like Paul, submit ourselves to whatever we must suffer in this life to serve him and stay committed to him as we await our glorious future with him. And that's the the fifth element of our joy in Jesus, a joy in my eternal destiny with Jesus. This is where it gets exciting, guys. If, if for any reason it hasn't been exciting, oh, what a hope, what a future we have. Look at what Jesus says in John eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And so there's a glorious future for Christians, for those who have placed their faith in Jesus and will be spiritually alive forever And if we should die before Christ returns in glory, we can trust in the resurrection that Paul speaks of in which we will ultimately be physically alive again to the glory of God. We'll enjoy life under King Jesus and the perfection of his kingdom. More to come in next week's message. Do come back next week. But be encouraged by these words. These words of 1 Thessalonians 4. And so we will always be with the Lord, Jesus, who is our everything. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I hope you're encouraged today in that. Here's the bottom line. Self-righteousness is no path to joy. With faith in Jesus, in his righteousness, there is an abundant joy now and for forever. And Jesus desires for you to have a joy that is complete, as we read in John 15, 11. So what reasons do we have for experiencing joy in Jesus? We should have a joy in who he is, in what he has done, in what I don't have to do. Thank you, Lord. We should have joy in a personal relationship with him that's growing. And we should have joy in our eternal destiny with Jesus. So allow me just to close by reading you a little bit of 1 Peter chapter 1. I love this passage, and I think it sums up some of these thoughts and the the hope and the joy that we have. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this. Even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with an inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Don't you find hope and joy in that passage of scripture? I do. Christian, you have endless reason for joy in Jesus. 
Let the power be turned back on in your heart today. If you're here and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, you can do so today in your heart, talking to God, expressing your faith in Jesus and what he did to pay for your sins at the cross, repenting of your sin and trusting in Jesus' payment for it. You can do that today and you can find this joy. What a, what a wonderful foundation to build our lives on. Jesus and the joy that we have in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your perfect provision in your son Jesus. Thank you for your word. I ask that you would sink these truths deep into our hearts that a fresh confidence would arise in us, a confidence not in our efforts, but a confidence in you alone, Jesus. Help us to experience the deepest joy in relationship with you and to build our lives with that joy upon the perfect foundation in you, Jesus. Carry us through these days of our lives filled with that joy until you call us home. We love you, and we thank you for this time together today in Jesus' name. Amen.